The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness, superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Welcome back, Gargoyles fans, to another episode of Voices from the Eerie. I'm your co-host, Greg Wachanski, and joining me, as usual, is my partner in crime, my co-host, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everyone. And rejoining us is this co-creator, supervising producer, and writer of the first two seasons of Gargoyles, as well as the Dynamite comic and the SLG comic, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hi. And it's really ironic that at the time we are talking about this episode, we're in the midst of the current Dino Dracon arc of the comics, with um, issue five just hit the stands. Although by the time this comes out, I'm sure issue six, maybe even issue seven will be out. We'll see. But, it, but the timing is nice. All right. So um, we're here to talk about this episode of Protection. It's our third Dracon episode of the series. And one might say his showcase episode. He, I mean, because Deadly Force isn't really about him, and he only shows up during the last act of the Silver Falcon. So I feel like we really, really get to know him a bit here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Get to know what a sleaze baggie is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're gonna be t- we'll be talking about that also. But there are, there are often some mysteries and stuff. I still have questions about him after this, which the current comic arc has been answering because. Suddenly, I'm thinking, wow, this explains a lot. <laughs> Talk about the voice acting a little, a little bit here. I think um, Richard Grieco did a fantastic job just making this guy a slime ball. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think Tony's a lot of fun in this episode. Um, his interactions with Elisa are great. Um, I'm not saying he's a great person. You know, I'm not no, saying but Tony's just a great how person, they interact is but just how they interact is really cool. And his interactions with Goliath, I think, are hilarious. <laughs> I mean, just like um, <laughs> I mean, he so doesn't get the guy, but takes certain things for granted and then goes, okay, maybe that was a step too far. That's all right. That's all right. You know, <laughs> we can all work together here. Um just, oh, back I just had a, a lot of fun with it last night and was really struck by. This was really, I mean, in terms of our our leads, you had Sally and Keith and and Bill in there. And then you just had this great supporting cast of secondary and tertiary characters um, done by uh, uh, this great group of voice actors, uh, Michael Bell, uh, Rocky Carroll, uh, Richard Greco, you mentioned, Charlie Hallahan, um, Rachel Ticketon, Tom Wilson. doing all these different guys. And it was, uh, it was just, it was fun. You know, uh, everyone, uh, nearly everyone's doing, uh, a couple voices, um, including Keith, um, you know, Rachel's playing Lois and Maria, uh, Charlie was playing Travis and Mr. Jaffe. Um, Michael Bell's like doing three roles. I think he's uh, pal Joey and uh, and Dave of Dave's Fallen Stick. 
and Great art, name. Of art and Lois's restaurant. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, Keith is doing Goliath, of course, but also Morgan. And um, it just, it was a, I think it really showed on, on one level sort of the strength of our supporting cast that, you know, we could get away. And I don't just mean like, what you normally think of as a sporting cast, Brooklyn, Lexington, Broadway, you know, Hudson, I, uh, those are leads to me, but these are, you know, characters that um, rarely get the spotlight. And yet, you know, there was a great little moments for all of these characters. And again, some of them are pretty uh, deep cuts, I guess you'd say, but uh, I mean, we wouldn't have said that back then. I don't think I had that phrase in 1994, but uh, now we'd say these are pretty deep cuts, but you know, um uh, mr jaffe has a terrific scene with matt bluestone um and there's great stuff for pal joey there's great stuff for glasses um this is the episode i really feel like where we really sort of set who pal joey was which i've been trying to take into the comics we're doing now glasses i feel like we got a sense of him earlier um but this is the one where i really feel like we cemented pal joey's personality and how he and glasses and and Tony interact. Uh, um, so there's a lot of for me a lot of fun stuff that really goes into the the breadth of our cast the, and the depth of it um, that we don't all often get to see because we've got leads who take up a lot of oxygen on screen and uh, and so leaving most of them out gave some room for the others to to breathe a little which was sort of cool i thought and sally is just so much fun in this episode mm, she really is <laughs> what are you a puppy <laughs> <laughs> she is and- so much fun just that like just dropping it and just sultry and then like chastising <laughs> the guys when they show up and just she was just so much fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 my memory is, is that this was a fun one for Sally to record. She really got to cut loose. And then by the end, you've got this sweet little scene between um, her and Goliath, between Elisa and Goliath, you know, all the posing and everything is set aside and you really get to see how much they feel for each other at the at the end so it allows sally to do all these different things in the episode so i think that was a lot of fun for her she got to play sultry she got to play you know the b word she got to uh um you know take goliath down a peg take tony down a peg here a peg there three pegs by the end um but she also got, she got to, to be do, sassy. She got to be yeah. the, the she also got to roughing do people the up heartfelt and, stuff at the yeah. at the end that that showed, you know, how she truly felt about Goliath. And and that was great. And you know, Bill was so much fun in this episode. Broadway is like, I get it. It's like one of my detective movies. I get it. I know what to do here. You know? <laughs> I love I love it when Broadway has it figured out before everybody else like i love that absolutely love it and you know Mm -hmm. you can tell that a lot of the movies he's watching are like on tcm because (laughs) it's like uh, you know the diction that he's using is like (laughs) yeah we'll get a lot of lettuce you know it's like yeah we haven't used the term lettuce for money since 
30s so you know, <laughs> but he thinks he's right on with that you know? he's got good it. taste in, he's got good taste in movies on hbo max i practically live in the turner classic movies section <laughs> i love it <laughs> on the waterfront I, that's a favorite of mine my notes uh, that i was i wrote down as i was walking watching it were bad girl elisa is sexy and then right under it says smart broadway is sexy <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> just so, love it yeah. love it yeah. yeah me too <laughs> he's great and you mentioned the cast i feel like and that's one of the strengths of the series you mentioned that we open with two new background characters art and lois and for very little screen time i feel like we get a firm grasp of who these people are their personalities the way they interact and um if it wasn't for his wife talking him down, he was going to spill the beans. I have a feeling he would have marched into the park manor to hell with the consequences and gotten in his face. But of course, I don't know if he would have marched in the park manor, but he was clearly prepared to go on live television and call Tony out until his wife pulled him back. And, uh, and, you know, I, I understand both their points of views. I mean, you know, he wants to call it as he sees it and to get the person who blew up their restaurant um, to pay for it. Uh, and she is like, this is bad enough. I don't want to lose my husband. You know, um, it's not worth mm. his life. And I understand both those point of views and, um, and it makes it hard. I mean, I think the restaurant was insured, but uh, still, that's pretty horrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they came within seconds of being inside that restaurant when uh, when yeah, it they went. They just walked out, so. Yeah. Yeah. One does not want their life to turn into a Martin Scorsese movie. Right. No. But but I also love the build-up to the reveal of the Lisa's Crooked Cop. They keep talking about a crooked cop. They mention a female crooked cop. And as an audience member, you're going... Huh? Are they talking about? No, it can't be. And then you get to that moment, and I'm not going to lie. The first, considering the genre of this show, the first time I watched this episode, because Double Jeopardy had just aired a, a few days back, I was thinking another clone at one point that entered my head. It didn't stay there, but it entered my head. <laughs> my daughter thought that too. I was rereading. Uh, when she was a kid, uh, we watched this episode and I wrote it up as a ramble on uh, AskGregWeissman.com. And um, and uh, I'd forgotten this, but yeah, she had also seen Double Jeopardy and, and she's like, oh, that's a clone of Lisa. I mean, my thing when we were, that thought didn't cross my mind when we were writing it. But my thing when we were writing it is she says that she's being framed and so uh I, you know i was thinking that the audience was going to think well of course this isn't elisa it's someone else posing as elisa or something like that until you see the scene with elisa at dave's ball and stick and then you're like oh wait that's elisa <laughs> and the thought that that might be a clone didn't even cross my mind um, the clones all yeah. get the better outfits so you know <laughs> i love that mm -hmm. outfit i it is um uh, unfortunately this wasn't one of our better animated episodes uh so uh it's all over the place uh you know sometimes it 
it looks like she's, you know, been strapped down to look like a boy. And sometimes it, it looks like she's got gigantic, it, it's just uh gigantic breasts. It's just like from shot to shot, uh, that outfit seemed to be very difficult for the studio to animate. Um, which was I thought was too bad. I just felt if we had had a you know better animation there, it would have been even cooler. But for us, it was you know economically impossible for us to give Elisa a lot of different outfits. Um, it also in any given episode created all sorts of confusion, uh, as we've discussed in previous episodes about Demona's different ages. You know, if if within the same episode they were they were occurring, but uh, here at least. Um, you know, she's wearing her regular clothes at the beginning and at the end, and then all through the middle. I guess it was clear enough. So there's never any scenes where she's wearing the wrong clothes. Uh, and and for us, it's just always great to see Elisa in something different. As much as I love her normal, you know, blue jeans, black shirt, red jacket uh, ensemble, uh, it is still great to see her wear something different, whether it's the dress from. Belle's dress from Beauty and the Beast or uh, uh, this outfit or um, a couple other times we got the chance to give her something different to wear, but most of the time, not so much. And um, and so it was nice to see something different. I just wish the animation had been a little more consistent with it throughout and um, not so much all over the place with uh, how she looked. But it was cool. It was cool to see. Um, and of course, I assume the NYPD reimbursed Dave for that light fixture. I would hope so. It's our tax dollars there. <laughs> and, and, anyway, the thing about that costume, and Jen, I think you can corroborate this also. I it was very a very popular costume for gathering convention masquerades. I think there were more undercover Elisa cosplayers over the years of the gathering and there were regular Lisa cosplayers i would disagree with that i would disagree with that i mean i, I mean, think I... you notice this outfit <laughs> more than the other outfit but the other outfit was more prevalent i will definitely to put cop- <laughs> i will definitely cop to that because i am a heterosexual male so yeah i definitely noticed it so that that's the problem that's the problem <laughs> yeah i think that's definitely the problem <laughs> <laughs> i'll cop to that all right um what i also really enjoy one of my favorite moments in the episode is goliath's reaction when broadway explains the concept of a protection rackets to him yeah i mean that really hit to the heart of what goliath considers their duty to be which is gargoyles protect so the idea of perverting that into a protection racket you you knew that that was just gonna drive goliath crazy um and uh and really rub him the wrong way and so his reaction to that um was fun and and we tried to do that kind of thing all the time you know in essence it's a word game you know uh gargoyles protect but what else is the word protect or protection used for well it's used for protection rackets oh my god that's perfect we got to do something with a protection racket. um so i'm sure 
I don't remember this specifically, but I'm sure somewhere in the origin of this whole thing was um, that notion of, oh, well, we've got to do something with protection rackets. It's just too dead on to what we do. And this episode was written and story edited, except for the jalapeno parts, <laughs> which I don't want to we'll blame him there. for at all. Uh, but uh, everything else was written and story edited by Gary Sperling, who was just a fantastic writer. And so all that great humor and all that action and all that um, uh, characterization of everyone, like you said, from Art and Lois to the gangsters to um, Goliath and Elisa and Broadway, all that is uh, owed to Gary, who was just a fantastic, uh, fantastic contributor to the show and a fantastic human being as well. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting Gary at the 2001 Gathering of the Girls Convention. Really nice guy. He was a pleasure to speak with, even if only briefly. Yeah. I love the, inter- the moments in the interrogation, even though they're not really in there together. I get the sense that Lisa, even when she's not undercover playing the bad cop, she's better at being a, the bad cop than Matt ever could be. <laughs> <laughs> Matt too squeaky clean to be that cop. <laughs> <laughs> did you notice the twins when they we get into the the precinct there's two guys that look exactly like each other stand, sitting right across the aisle from each other <laughs> we could have mixed up the models a little bit but no it's mm. twins they work at the at the precinct together i don't remember that i watched <laughs> it last night i missed it and as usual you're also very good at playing fair with your audience like having Chavez, well, obviously that's part of the plan, but we see Chavez suspends Elisa clearly within the earshot of pal Joey, which is a another fun moment. And I love that line about how they expected more from one another. <laughs> Even though it's fake, it still hits hard. Yeah. Uh, they set it up all real well. Like, uh, everybody's talking about where she is. Where is she? I need to talk to her. You know, um, then she busts in and... They've already set up this, like, she hasn't been present thing. So um, she lays into pal Joey and then steps out and then she's in trouble with her boss. So I thought it was set up good. I never once, though, when I first saw this, ever thought that Elisa was actually going to be the bad guy. (laughs) Same. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I knew that would be a tough sell. Um, that's why for the first chunk of the first act, we're thinking, oh, it's not that she's a bad guy, it's that she's being framed. Again, the clone angle didn't even occur to me, but, um, uh, but she's being framed. And then, you know, I, what's interesting about this episode is what are, what the act breaks are, what take you out of commercial. They're not threats to our heroes, um, or even to innocent people. It's the, oh my God, revelation that Elisa isn't is you know shaking this guy down and then the second act break is the oh my god revelation that goliath is willing to change sides too you know um it uh money and power sound very appealing only said by keith david in a way that (laughs) takes you out of the act it makes you desperate to come back to see act three you know um (laughs) that's a you know again that's something that not a lot of shows i think uh in that era 
could have gotten away with is um, the the cliffhanger isn't a threat. It's it's sort of this shocking horror moment of wait, all my heroes are turning evil, you know. Um, and we don't stop to explain it, you know. We don't. I mean, at the end, we explain it. But as we're going through it, um, Elise is behaving how she's behaving. She's calling Goliath out for following her around. She calls him a puppy, um, which <laughs> I think is the greatest line ever. Um, and uh, certainly the way Sally read it. And uh, and we don't stop. You know, Goliath says she must be under a spell. And Broadway says, I think there might be another explanation. But we don't stay with them. While Broadway explains that, I think a lot of shows back in those days, certainly, and maybe even today, would stop and and let Broadway tell Goliath and thus the audience, here's what I think is going on. Oh, okay, now I understand. No, they just, we just keep going. And then suddenly Broadway and Goliath seem willing to change sides too. Now, again, we wrote the show on layers. And so you have some people who are pretty young watching the show back in the day. Uh, you know, it's on the Disney afternoon. It, it, we had to reach kids, you know, um, as young as four. Um, and some of them I think would wonder is Elisa turning bad is Goliath and Broadway turning bad. Um, and even if they're like, no, I don't believe that that can't be true. They're worried. They, they can't be sure. Now, obviously, an older audience is, it, who's more sophisticated about the tropes of television are, are sitting there going, there's no way Goliath's turning evil. There's no way Broadway's turning evil. There's no way Elisa's turning evil. So what is the explanation here? But we don't stop to give it to you until the end. Um, and uh, I, again, I feel like that was us having respect for our audience, trusting them to stick with us and not needing every little thing spelled out in advance. Let's wait and tell them when it's over. Let's not give them, uh, you know, break it all down for them first. Um, and, uh, you know, even now reviewing that la episode last night, I was like, well, that was pretty cool of us. You know, I thought, um, obviously I'm biased, but uh, that was pretty cool. I thought that didn't stop to, spell all that out and just left our audience hanging and, and wondering what was going on. Speaking of writing things in layers, um, Jaffe says to Matt that he, he's always been tilting at windmills. And I was like, it, it never like hit me before that. Like, yeah, no, the kids probably wouldn't pick up on what that reference, <laughs> but I love it. Yeah. Let's get a little Don Quixote in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> seems appropriate for Matt. Uh, Matt. I love and I'm Matt. Sure that was, I'm sure that was a Gary Sperling uh, line. I mean, obviously, it, it's right up my alley. It's the kind of thing I love to see. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm sure that was Gary. Uh, yeah. I thought it was, one thing I did think was funny is, you know, we know that glasses drake on etc they know matt they know him they've met him they kidnapped him in the past and yet you get this guy here uh with the wig on and the glasses and the deeper voice that tom puts on 
for Matt when he's playing the the store clerk. Um, and none of them recognize him as Matt. He had glasses <laughs> on. Come on, Superman proved how on. this works. That's right. If it works for <laughs> Clark Kent, it'll work for Matt Bluestone. That's for sure. Yeah, Matt is even more of a disguise. He's got the wig on. I really love that That's scene. Right. Anytime, and a hat. Few... He's wearing. Don't forget hat. the hat. Oh my the god, hat, Matt yeah. would never wear a hat. <laughs> no. So, We've only got but I love that. I love that whole idea of oh, we don't know who this is. <laughs> We've really got only He's got scenes. glasses on. <laughs> Can't be <Yeah>. identified. <laughs> <laughs> We've only really got two scenes in the entire series between Matt and Mr. Chaffee, but I enjoy them both. It really humanizes Matt. It gives us a glimpse into his past and uh it's just fun. It's fun to see that relationship. I like it. Yeah, I I do love their relationship. I love uh, I just it's it shows Matt's loyalty a lot, you know. And uh, yeah, it's nice they have that history, and and Jaffe's clearly something of a father figure for Matt. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see. And we already we talked a little bit about that scene, the what are you a puppy scene. But one of the things I like about it is that it also shows us that at least, granted, in this episode, she does they do get involved, but at least it doesn't need them to do her job. She probably handles, even after encountering them, hundreds of cases throughout her career without sm- smaller cases, maybe even larger ones without their um, assistance. I mean, she has a life outside of the gargoyles. Yeah, I mean, that was important for us to demonstrate is that um, that both uh, Elisa has a competency level um, that existed before she met them and that transcends her need for them now, um, which doesn't mean they don't come in handy. Uh, you know, you got a bomb in the dry cleaners. Uh, it's good to have a guy with wings who can throw it into the river, although... I noticed he didn't really throw it into the river. No, he he just fooled <laughs> like like did he drop it? Like I expected him to like. I, I was sitting there going, "Why aren't you dropping it? Why aren't you dropping it? You're <laughs> over the water. Why aren't you dropping it?" And I guess he was worried about the fish. Um, <laughs> so you know, he sort of you don't really get to see it because you see the explosion from a distance, and then you see him fly out of the smoke. So clearly, he just sort of tossed it you know, toward camera, but up and away from himself. And then the explosion came and he flew towards us through the smoke, I guess. Um, I don't remember. It looked cool, though. It did look cool. So I don't remember, though. Like, cool points. 25 years ago. Why did he not just drop it in the water? I don't remember. Or at least, like, like overhand it, you know, like something. Yeah, I know. But I guess He's not. the visual looked cool the way it was. So maybe it was just like, hey, let's. Let's go for the cool visual. Don't worry too much about logic. Um, and I'm okay cool. with that. Believe me. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He's not adding anything worse to the East River that isn't already in there. <laughs> I also like the way Goliath says dry cleaners. Like that whole concept for him is like, I don't understand this. Why do you uh, get clean if you're dry. Dry <laughs> clean. I gotta give, I gotta give glasses points. He's the smoothest out of all of them. When he goes in and makes his pitch, he does it in a way the threat is very real, but without incriminating himself. He doesn't say anything that could get him 
convicted. How Joey is borderline and Dracon, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but uh, but no, Glasses is, is the smoothest out of all of them, and that's usually how I've, from what I've heard, how they approach you. They don't want to say anything that can get them arrested or convicted or be caught on tape, and um, because, you know, these protection rackets, they're a very real thing. They are still very real in some of these. You go to the Bronx, you go to Brooklyn, Queens, they're still very much in operation, especially with these smaller mom and pop places, because these big corporate chains, I understand that's much harder to shake down. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it it's sad, but uh, that's what gives us story fodder. Yeah, I mean, uh, Glasses is really a fun character um, to write. Uh, particularly when you know Rocky Carroll is going to be the one speaking that voice. Um, uh, that's a bedroom voice for sure. Uh, and, uh, and it's rich. And so, you know, and he's so good, uh, always and big fan of Rockies and, and glasses started off as this, you know, little side character. And then Rocky did him in his first appearance and, uh, cause he was, I think playing Derek in the same episode Yes, and, uh, and then, you know, Rocky made glasses so interesting that suddenly, and I remember Gary Sperling coming to me and going, I love glasses name. I love that you call him glasses just cause he wears glasses. <laughs> like well, that was an easy way to refer to him, but it's like, it was so sort of, uh, Damon Runyon for Gary was that. And so, you know, we all just enjoyed writing characters like glasses and a pal joey they were just a lot of fun always and michael bell is so fun um pal joey also i mean it's very different from what rocky was doing but it's still so much fun i love that they're all so different like yeah uh the way they're played the way their uh their personalities are just they're they're all the same you know cut from the same thread but it's different. Like each one is a different approach to it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. That's what makes it fun. And, uh, and there's that little scene with Dracon and Elisa at the park manor, and they're enjoying the luxury of it all, the fancy meals, the champagne. And that's a part of every gangster movie where they're living the high life before everything comes crashing down. I mean, let's be honest, if crime didn't pay, nobody would do it, but, um, there, he, there, but there we are, and uh, of course, then he immediately leans in, and he's interested in the gargoyles, because by now I think he's cotton onto the fact that uh, well, Glasses already reported it that yeah. they follow her orders, which I which probably makes the events of Deadly Force and Silver Falcon suddenly click in his head. Right, I'm, I'm not sure too many things click in Tony's head. <laughs> well, well, let's be honest; he's been. In this episode, he's being led around by his libido. There, I said it. Someone had to say it. <laughs> yeah, he well, and he and again, uh, power too. Like having the gargoyles on a leash sounds like a good idea to him. Right. I mean, if if you can get creatures that powerful to do your bidding, creatures so frightening that they literally scared a white streak into his. <laughs> there um if they're gonna work for me oh this is good and uh so he gets greedy you know and he gets a little sloppy 
Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's still uh, the one moment for me that is interesting. I don't know. It, it doesn't ring quite true is, is they're in the grocery store at the end or near the end. And, um, and he's been busted and somehow or other, he manages to get Elisa's gun away from her. And, and I was like, wow, we really did that. Um, and it's a good moment for him, but it's not a good moment for Elisa. And in hindsight, I find that moment concerning. Um, I don't think I would have done that now. Uh, you know, I would have found a different way for him to briefly turn the tables than just have him sort of grab her, grab Oops, the gun it's away. mine now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just feel like that would Elisa, I Like we've established, Elisa's smarter than that already. Yeah. And that she's a badass and, and, uh, and, you know, she makes up for it. There's this great spin kick she does and all sorts of stuff in there. Still, this truth since I, the beholder, among the things that Mr. Jaffe sells are these gigantic bags of I guess, flour. flour. <laughs> um, and I'm like, who sells those in grocery stores, let alone mom and pop shops? But I guess in that Maybe neighborhood, big. people want big bags of flour. You know, like, I these gangsters hate cans on the shelves, man. They just yeah. eat them. Like, I actually had this moment when. I, when glasses knocks the cans off, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a way to be threatening without doing too much damage. Because, you know, at this stage, he doesn't want to damage the store. He wants to intimidate them, but he's hoping they'll pay. So he doesn't, glasses doesn't want to damage the store. But then when Tony knocks the cans over, I kept thinking of the scene from uh, The Jerk with Steve Martin when he goes, he hates those cans. Stay away <laughs> from the cans. Uh, uh, it's just like, what is it with the cans and these guys? It's like, oh, the can script. Uh-oh. Well, when you go in and see the grocer, use the can script, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that always works. The cans, right? <laughs> um, and, and if that doesn't work, the giant bags of flour, those are always there. <laughs> They're um, terrific. <laughs> bakers and restaurant owners buy those. Yeah, that's the ticket. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> there you go. Um, giant bags of flour. <laughs> what would we do without our giant bags of flour? And I love the way we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the way Tony and uh Goliath end up playing off of each other. I mean, Broadway's the one who watched all the movies, but I feel like Goliath speaks to him even better than Broadway does, more directly in a way that Dracon pick understands. And um, Dracon, okay, Goliath and Elisa were the last two. To really realize or acknowledge their feelings for another Tony picked up. Oh, on Tony it picks quickly. up on it big time. Yeah. <laughs> Again, as we've discussed before, I think Elisa is very aware of it. It's Goliath who's a dumbass, but uh, um, uh, that's pronounced Dumas. Okay. <laughs> Dumbas. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Elisa is aware of it, but is is trying not you know, to, to deny it. She's like, no, that can't ever work. So I've got to, so I'm resisting it. Goliath has still got things to figure out, you know? Um, although I think even that has shifted since, uh, you know, they did, we did the episode where they, uh, switch species back and forth. Um, 
yeah, the mirror is where Goliath, I think it finally clicked in for him that he had actual romantic feelings for her, but uh, they're still like processing it all. Whereas Tony gets it like that. He's like, okay, <laughs> I get it. She's your woman. Now that makes sense. I see. You got good taste, my friend. You know? <laughs> like, and then he gets and he's patting Goliath again. on the shoulder and Goliath like what well, he need, he needs to he, he needs to why uh, like he touches way too many people. He needs to stop yeah. that. <laughs> Goliath starts growling and Tony's like, okay, okay, we're all friends here. You know? let's, let's stay cool. This is all good. <laughs> There's a little moment in that same scene where he puts his hand on Elisa's shoulder and takes her other hand in his, and you can just see Elisa just glares at that hand on her shoulder. She's just glaring at it for a moment. Moment. <laughs> Elisa, I wish it was better a better animated episode because Elisa has a lot of like facial expressions and stuff that really could have just knocked it out of the park. Like, you know when. Goliath comes in, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, money and power sound like a good idea to me. And the, like, she raises her eyebrow, like, what the hell is happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I wish it was just so much better. Like, again, like the hand on the, just don't touch me, please. (laughs) You know, like, oh. Yeah, I mean, he calls her honey, uh, Tony, that is, calls her honey and calls her sugar. And she's pretty direct about, I do not like that. And then, you know, at one point she calls him sugar, which he clearly doesn't like. And it's um, pretty clear. So, yeah, even when she's uh, play acting as the bad girl, you know, it doesn't mean she has to suddenly cozy up to this guy in some way that compromises her. She can play the bad girl who respects herself, you know. and it just, I, I think, I honestly think that that's even more attractive. Like, she, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with no matter what side she's on. So Tony wants her on his side. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, after the gargoyles show up and they pull the three guys, you know, uh, the driver and glasses and Joey out of the car and. And then she shoos the gargoyles away. And then she's standing there. And it's like, you guys coming or what? She, she gets guys. back in the car. And she's like, yeah. what are you guys doing? Yeah. It's like, we're, they're like, wait, didn't we kidnap her? And she could have gotten away here. And oh, wait, no, she wants to come with us. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> let's get back in the car, uh, you know, and get away from these monsters. Um, <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of really fun stuff. Uh, in here i mean it's boarded well and uh maybe not animated the greatest but it was boarded very well and uh and again gary's script was just terrific it was and there's that little scene with pal joey where he's clearly against the idea of working with the gargoyles he knows it's a bad idea but he's not going to defy his boss and it's and it continues on to the point where i don't need any monsters to do my job i mean this guy i mean if he wasn't a scumbag, I'd feel bad for him. Especially after <laughs> issue four of the Dynamite comic when he goes to pick up Dino at the in Austin. That's <laughs> insane. Uh I don't I don't feel bad for him in any way, shape, or form. 
No, he's got it coming. I said if he yeah, wasn't no, a scumbag, no. I would, but he's not. A, but he is a scumbag, so I don't. <laughs> I mean, there's a fun moment after Broadway's sort of uh, rap rebar around him and the other guy, um, where Broadway's just carrying them both back into the dry cleaners to make sure that those people are okay without even knowing that they're really Officer Morgan and and Captain Chavez. Um, And Joey's slowly (laughs) regaining consciousness and he's like, wait, don't take me in there. I left a bomb there, dude. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) a bomb. And Broadway, you know, gets it fortunately immediately and rushes in there and everything. But, you know, for Joey, it's like, no, that's the one place I don't want to (laughs) go. Let's let's just take a nice like walk down to the police station. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> just don't take me back in there. Yeah, and now we gotta talk about the climax of the episode. We talked a little bit about it, but Tony incriminates himself on camera, on a visible camera. Yeah, well, camera very unambiguous visible. <laughs> camera is supposed to be hidden. Um <laughs> so it's a little less dumb in how we originally conceived it and by the time we saw the final version where the camera is impossible not to see it was too late to fix it so that's on us but um i think it would make tony a little less of a doofus um if (laughs) the cameras were truly hidden cameras which is what they were supposed to be yeah because, you know, later on, you know, you have TV shows like The Sopranos and you hear the way Tony, quote unquote, negotiates with people on that show, Tony Soprano, not Tony Dracon. So when Tony Dracon is this direct, but then I also realize it feeds into, especially what we're seeing in the current comics now, why uh, Dino seems to have a lower opinion of him because, um, I mean, this guy is young. I mean, he seems a little bit too young to be in charge, and we're getting more info about the Dracon family now, and a lot of things that didn't click before are suddenly clicking. It's a family business. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony is messing it up! <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, where's the other Tony during all this? Where's Antoinette? I'm kidding. <laughs> she had her own thing going, I guess. Cool. She's not her brother's keeper. Nope. Good. But and then we talk about the action scene a little bit. But I love that scene where Goliath just carries Tony into the air and pretty much tells him exactly what he thinks of him. Although there's that one curious line about how he should drop him, but Gargoyle justice isn't human justice. So I'm thinking, in this case, if this is another Gargoyle, or what, what is Gargoyle justice in this context? I think you know, if it had been the 10th century, Goliath would have just dropped him. Um, but this isn't the way the humans do things. I'm respecting their rules. So I'm not gonna, I think one of the key clues about Goliath's mindset, uh, which I think it is in the episode animated correctly, uh, is that Goliath's eyes are glowing white as he's carrying Dracon up. But just before he drops them, his eyes stop glowing and go normal so he's clearly calmed down and then he lets him go before he flies down and catches tony um so he's trying to teach tony a bit of a lesson about what could happen to him certainly 
you know, um, like a protection racket. <laughs> right. Yeah. But what uh, I want you to do, and I won't drop you from 30 stories. <laughs> right. But the anger is, has, um, bled away by the time he, uh, so what he does is, is more calculated. It's not, uh, it's not out of vengeance or hatred or anger or the, all that's, you know, he's chilled out by the time he actually lets go. Okay, we talked a little bit about that sweet moment at the end between Goliath, Elisa, and Broadway at the clock tower after everything is reestablished. It's a nice moment, but we haven't talked about it at any point yet during this show. Greg, gargoyles, jalapenos, for the people listening to this who don't know it, as opposed to Jennifer and I have heard the story at every convention. <laughs> How did that come about? Okay, well, I mean... You know, next time we have Keith on, you can talk to him about uh, the origin of him saying jalapeno the way most people would say hallelujah. Um, and it was a uh, uh, something that he got from a jazz singer uh, that he uh, had heard play and admired. Um, so he would say that in the booth fairly often, um, you know. Jamie would say, great take. And he would say, jalapeno or something like that. Um, and at some point during one recording, uh, Jamie turned to me and said, I bet you can't work that into the show. And I said, I bet I can. Which is such and, a Jamie um, thing to do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know why I took the bait other than it, <laughs> I guess it must have appealed to me. And later it really appealed to me. So Gary turned in his script, which was a, as I've said, a really great script that had nothing about jalapeno peppers or jalapeno jars or anything in it whatsoever. Um, and uh, when I did my final pass on it, I added all that stuff, you know, and I had to build to it. So it starts off with the room service and the uh, and the jalapeno peppers that Elisa is liking. And Tony's like, keep the jar. Like, how magnanimous. Keep a jar of jalapeno peppers, right? And then later, Broadway comes in, and, ooh, jalapeno peppers. Keep we know jar. Broadway likes it. <laughs> Elisa's like, keep the jar. And all this stuff, which is just silliness that I added to the script, all to build to Goliath at the very end of the episode, eating a jalapeno and caught off guard by the spiciness of it, saying jalapeno the way Keith would say it in the booth so that I could win this bet with from Jamie <laughs> over Jamie, which by the way, was for no money. I mean, I really feel like I should have said a uh, hundred bucks or, uh, or whatever. Uh, but I didn't, we were just betting, you know, I guess we'd call it a gentleman's bet, except neither Jamie nor I are gentlemen. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, Frank at the time thought, okay, it's a dopey thing in the episode, but it's fun. So it was actually Frank's idea um, at the sound mix saying, hey, if we're going to do this, let's do this. And he had it echoing out, you know, across the whole city. Jalapeno, 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 which I thought was great. But the thing that actually interested me a little bit more is that there's the moment after the bomb goes off where Broadway says jalapeno. And I'm like, oh, wait, that could be like a curse word for us. You know, we can't use any curse words on the show because we were a Disney show airing on the Disney afternoon. Um, 
can't use curse words, but we could have our own curse word as jalapeno. So, um, and then, you know, Jamie being the troublemaker that he is kept saying things like, well, I bet you couldn't get Hudson to say it. So then, you know, I had to <laughs> work it in for Hudson to say it. And so pretty soon it, you know, he just kept going and I kept going and, um, everyone was saying it. And then I, like I said, I got interested in us being able to use it as a curse word that, and then Frank comes to me and says, you got to stop this. I'm like, why? It's our curse word is great. And he's like, no, you don't understand. The board artists really hate it. It's like cowabunga, dude. You know, I mean, they think it's Ninja Turtles. They think it's Bart Simpson. Um, they just think it's it's beneath us to be using. And I'm like, oh, they're taking it too seriously. He's like, you're not getting it. You have to stop. They're, they're ready to re revolt. And I, on the one hand, felt like, well, wait a minute. What are you saying to me? Because you and I are the bosses. They're not the bosses if we decide it works in the show. But I decided that that was not the approach to take, partially because I think I knew the answer, which was that Frank didn't like it either. Um, that it was fun for the one episode, but that it was never meant to be an ongoing thing. So um, what you'll see in the episodes after this one is that for a while, you know, one person will use it, then another person uses it, and then everyone's using it all the time. And then suddenly it stops and no one is using it um, for the last, I don't know, dozen or so episodes. It just completely goes away because our artists were, I'm told, in revolt over it. Um, and, uh, but it was fun for a while. And then uh, in the journey, which was the, first episode of Goliath Chronicles and the last one that I had, uh, that, I mean, I wrote the journey, um, and I supervised the recording for that. That was the last recording I supervised before the new producer and story editor, uh, came aboard. Um, in other words, when Goliath Chronicles started up, it literally started up behind schedule. So I did work on that first episode through the recording. Then after that boards and, and certainly all the post-production was done without me. And they re-edited the whole episode after I was gone, they added stuff, they cut stuff, they rearranged stuff. Um, but I was still there for the recording of that. And I wrote that script and I put one last jalapeno in the journey. And um, the head of current programming, uh, great guy, Jay Facuto came up to me and said, I thought we weren't doing jalapeno anymore. Why did you put this in here? And I said, well, it's sort of my farewell. So plus, you know, I think it'll annoy Frank. And, he, and, um, and at that time, Frank and I are all good now. You've heard the two of us joke about this stuff on the podcast before. But at the time, after 65 episodes, we had started to grind on each other a little bit. And mature human being that i am <laughs> i was like i'm gonna dig just a little dig here put this jalapeno one last little jalapeno right and the truth <laughs> is it didn't matter because frank didn't work on the journey at all he didn't work on any of the third season because he actually went to dreamworks even before i did um and uh so i don't know that he even knows it's in there <laughs> but um, maybe he does i'm not sure but uh uh it was uh it was just fun for me. Uh, and, 
from my point of view, it's still, you know, it's still fair game. Um, and uh, it will return. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, hey, you know what? NECA immortalized it in plastic. That's right. Oh my gosh, this that was so perfect. <laughs> and so even Frank perfect. and even Frank said he was amused by that. <laughs> Cuz it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, you'd sure. have to ask, you know, uh Keith, what he thought of it when he first saw the script with all that in there. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if he remembers it was, you know, a long time ago, decades ago, but uh, it'd be sort of fun to hear uh, Keith's response if he recalls it at all when he was reading that script for the first time if, and he saw that, you know, because it had all originated with him, but it's not like we told him we were going to do this. Uh, in fact, again, Jamie just sort of challenged me and, and I, did it without even telling my story editor until I just sort of handed the script back to him for him to see. And he was like, what is this stuff with the jalapeno? And I had to explain to Gary what was going on and why I'd done it. And, and I'm sure he thought I was a Dumas, but, um, but uh, you know, like I said, we were having a good time. Is Dumas going to become the jalapeno of this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> If it's possible. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Is there anything else about this episode we haven't touched on quite yet? I think that's it for me. Other than it should be jalapeno, if it's a pepper. Yeah, but jalapeno. They were jalapeno is, brand jalapeno peppers. Is okay. All right. <laughs> because it has. You can have jalapeno salsa. Like it's an adjective. It's not. A <laughs> It had to match up with what Keith said, which was not jalapeno. Exactly. It was exactly. because it was a replacement for hallelujah. So it was jalapeno. <laughs> uh, so we had to, we had to go with uh, the feminine ending. And that was always my excuse, though. They were jalapeno brand jalapeno New garlicky entry incoming. <laughs> it works. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, I guess we can begin to wrap things up. Is there anything you would like to plug? Unfortunately, until um, our scheduling situation gets worked out, I don't know when this is quite going to go up. I have but, no um... idea. It's a mystery. <laughs> well, I always want to plug the Gargoyles comic. Uh, uh, where we're recording this, um, back in April, uh, issue five has just come out. So if you don't have issues one through five, you should definitely have those. And my guess is by the time this drops, six, maybe seven might be out and maybe even Dark Ages number one. So please pick those up. And again, if you uh, want to plan ahead, if you're into really planning far ahead, uh, in 2024 uh, in Minneapolis, Convergence uh, Convention, um, we are doing uh, as part of Convergence at Gargoyles uh, 30th anniversary celebration uh, in July of 2024. So uh, uh, if we're planning to have, uh, I'm going to be there. Tom Adcox, the voice of Lexington is going to be there. We'll have other guests as well, I'm sure, but those two are confirmed and we'll have a lot of fans, uh, old school fans, and hopefully a lot of new fans too. 
So if you're a Gargoyles fan, new or old, plan ahead, you know, save up a little money and think about coming to Minneapolis in July of 2024 for Convergence. Um, Convergence is a fantastic con anyway, but we're going to make it extra special with the 30th anniversary of Gargoyles. We'll be there. Definitely. Cannot wait. All right. We'll record a live podcast for Dan. Oh, we should. (laughs) I just made that up. We will. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, thank you again. Greg, thank you for everything you do. Jennifer, thank you for making sure the show doesn't suck (laughs) and for being the perfect partner (laughs) in crime. I don't that on my shoulders. (laughs) 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 And to our fans, of course, and our listeners, thank you for listening. And join us next time for The Cage. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast, powered by the Spidey Dude Radio Network, located at spidey-dude.com. If you like this show, then please listen to Spectacular Radio, based on the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series, which features some familiar voices. You can also find these great podcasts, Clone Saga Chronicles, Make Mine Mayday, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, The Sal Buscema Podcast, and Books of X. All of this and more on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. And please follow us on Twitter at From Eerie. That's From E-Y-R-I-E. And join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Network for more exclusive content. Thank you. Jalapeno! Jalapeno! Jalapeno!